Hello, welcome to Talking Flutes, and today I'm chatting with Andy Scott, saxophonist, composer and educator. He first jumped onto the music scene with the award-winning Apollo Saxophone Quartet, formed whilst at the Royal Northern College of Music. Since then, he's expanded his career, integrating his composition work with performance projects and education activities. As a composer, he is self-taught, but has a distinctive individual voice mixing jazz, world music and contemporary classical elements. Now, why, I hear you ask, am I chatting to Andy today on Talking Flutes? Well, he has contributed so much fabulous music to the flute repertoire and chamber music repertoire that I'm sure many of you will have already come across. The Bad-Tempered Flute, an album of Andy's compositions for flute, was released in 2011 on the Nimbus Alliance label, featuring Paul Edmund Davis, Andy Finden and myself, but also with Craig Ogden, Peter Lawson, Lauren Scott and Tim Carey. And is also a number of compositions featured on the syllabus for the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music and the Trinity Guildhall grade exams. Recent commissions from Andy were premiered at the Purcell Room, Queen Elizabeth Hall, Southbank Centre, Wigmore Hall and the Royal Albert Hall. He is a gifted educator and I've heard him on so many occasions inspiring musicians young and old, musically experienced and less experienced, to open their ears and minds and absorb different styles and approaches to music. We first met at the RNCM, I think when I was presenting an Art of Teaching course, and you, Andy, were a fresh-faced student. Certainly was. Thanks for having me, Claire. That's the first thing um, I should say. And um, also, I've been really interested in the podcasts. I was was listening to, well, I've listened to about 12 of them now. I think the one with Dave Heath... Fabulous. Also, with Sam, really inspiring that podcast. I think, um, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, the RNCM though. I was I was born and brought up in the Pool Bournemouth area, south coast of England. Um, although my family were from the northwest, Manchester and Liverpool. My dad took a head of music teaching job in Pool. No, sorry, in Bournemouth, which is why they moved from the northwest down south. So they were quite pleased in one sense when I moved back to Manchester in the northwest, And that was 1985, going to the RNCM. And yeah, we were all in your art of teaching classes. I think most of us had a little crush on you. I, I think it's fair to say <laughs> at that stage. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it, was, it was a fantastic few years at the Royal Northern. Um, I think I'd been thrown into this environment where as a saxophonist, I'd been brought up playing in big bands. That was my main thing. I wasn't improvising. You play in big bands and a lot of the time you're just playing notated music. But of course you build up an understanding of the different feels and styles and grooves associated with that music. It was only a bit later uh, where I started actually sort of uh, improvising. Probably when I was at college actually. So is that when you were composing then? Yeah, I I was thinking about this... um, the other day actually when I was about 15 or 16 years old I was starting a couple of groups I had a little jazz group I started I had a saxophone quartet I started I was trans we needed some music so I was transcribe I remember there was one that I loved called Boogie Down by Al Giraud so I transcribed it from the record and wrote the parts out and then everyone would come around to my mum and dad's house for rehearsals and, and we'd go out and do some gigs 
so I was sort of playing the saxophone, writing music, arranging music, and creating projects. And uh, essentially, nearly 40 years later, I'm, doing, I'm just doing the same thing. And I think it's interesting, in some of the other podcasts we were talking about, or you were talking about, sorry, this idea of potentially forcing people down different musical avenues in one sense or another. Um, but I think the, the, the passion and the direction that we take, because there are so many different areas in music, it's, for me it was sort of quite instinctive and it's remained like that. It, there hasn't been some carefully planned out career path. It was just, it's been more reactive than proactive in one sense. Yeah, but Flute World, of course, we're thrilled to have all these pieces, but why why did you write so much for the flute? Well, it was, um, I mean, first of all, because I love the sound of the flute. And uh, it's funny how you, with summer schools as well, you know, I've met some wonderful, wonderful musicians on summer schools and fellow tutors obviously we did, we did a you know a lot of work together at Waldingham you mentioned Paul Evan Davis before uh, I got to know Paul through the Harrogate was a summer school that I used to tutor on Andy Fend and I've known through through gigs through saxophone gigs obviously a wonderful flute player and this whole CD or or, or the friendships that develop and there's nothing better than sitting around and sort of just knocking ideas around yeah. creative ideas, collaborations it, it's what gives you energy and keeps things fresh and keeps things moving on and uh, I suppose those you know, friendships developed through tutoring on summer schools has resulted in this uh, the Bad Tempered Flute CD Absolutely, now I have a memory mm-hmm. from my summer course at Waldingham <laughs> and you were teaching saxophone and you played me a snippet of a new work for flute and harp and it was only about just a few seconds you played me hmm. and I was so excited by the, the style, the freshness, the vitality of the music and luckily for me I then performed it many times with Lauren yeah. and we recorded it for the Bad Tempered Flute. So it's a fantastic piece of music. Thank you. No, I'm, I'm genuinely delighted that, that, that you like it and because obviously I don't say that lightly because, you know, as a composer, you, you're in this world of isolation. I wouldn't like to be a composer, you know, full-time. Uh, I definitely enjoy, you know, I love playing the saxophone, I love writing music, but I like the combination. Trying to balance those two things is very, very difficult in terms of time management, but it's a, it's a challenge I'd rather have any day than rather not. So, And what I've found is... Uh, from those early days of playing in big bands when I was pre-music college and then music college and then one thing when I left music college I said to myself right I'm going to take every gig I'm offered and I, I, I had that mentality because I didn't play flute I didn't play clarinet and there are the, the doublers the treblers out there who can earn a nice income from playing shows but you need to have those skills of playing woodwind and I thought no I'm I'm going to just concentrate on the saxophone and concentrate on projects and uh, and writing and arranging, um, more writing than arranging. And I just thought, yeah, let's just take every gig I'm offered then and let's just see where it leads. And what that gave me was an opportunity to play with lots of different musicians in lots of different musical styles. 
Yeah. And, I th- and, I, and that was great. And I think what's happening now, now I'm sort of early 50s, is that all those experiences are coming out in my playing, but more so in the writing, I think. Yeah. And it, sometimes it makes me laugh a little bit when, you know, I, inevitably, because we're both experienced at teaching at music colleges... Um, we come back to music college and sometimes I hear this thing about finding your own voice on your instrument which quite frankly I think is utter nonsense especially when you're 20 years old or something you shouldn't even be thinking like that as far as I'm concerned you should just be listening with your ears wide open and open-minded musically and absorbing everything and practicing hard and trying to you know, make the most of your practice time I think a voice, a musical voice, is a slow burner. I think it develops after a number of years. It certainly is with me. I mean, it's different with different people, obviously. Uh, some people might find that thing you know, very early on, but I don't think there should be a... Uh, you know, it shouldn't be taken as, as read that, oh, you have to find this elusive voice. No, you don't, as far as I'm concerned. Just... Yeah. just, just be open-minded, lap it all up and try and I don't think enjoy that's, it. I don't think that's pushed nearly enough in the conservatoires <clears throat> to actually to, to open up and listen and, and be aware of what's going on around. I, mm. I think it's, it's often a little bit too blinkered. I mean, I've often talked before about, I think that sometimes we, we stop the creative juices flowing when people come to college because we have to get them playing their instrument well. And yes, they do work hard and you get what you work for, but we're often churning out sort of um, uh, robots rather than than musicians. In fact, the crucial time, I think, is when you leave college and you do it for yourself and you develop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, it's finding that balance, isn't it, between playing your instrument well and the standard is so high uh, that you need to obviously put the time in and put the hours in. And, you know, again, that's not, that's not for everybody. Some people go to music college and they find that, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just really not the mentality to do this. And that's absolutely fine. You know, and there are students I've known who's transferred after a year and have done something else or have wanted to take a more academic route. And, again, you're just gradually finding out, aren't you, what's, what, you what, what's right for you. You are. You are gradually finding out. And, and of course, from the people oh, we man. know who've been very successful in the music world, some have come through the conservatoire method and some have gone to university and some haven't done either. Absolutely. So, you know, you have yeah. to find your, your, you, your own way. Yeah, you don't need to go to a music college to be a successful musician. Yeah. Absolutely I used to tell, not. I used to tell students when they were about to audition for college, I'd say, look, this is 10 minutes, a 10-minute window in your life. And if, you, if it doesn't quite work, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you can't be a musician. It just means in that 10 minutes, you didn't show what a particular panel wanted. You, if you really want it and you work for it, I'm a great believer that you will achieve what yeah. you want to go for. No, absolutely. I, I think it's, uh, it's, being, um, it's obviously having a passion. So what Sam was saying about love of music and everything, it has to be a passion. And it's a lifetime passion. Um, but I think it's also about being inquisitive. I think it's, it's not shutting doors in your mind because if you don't understand something. It's saying, OK, what's, what's so-and-so doing there? You know, why? In the same way that I, I say to my students, if they say that 
they're, they're classically trained students who've never improvised in their lives and they're sort of thinking oh crikey I, I, I say you know well let's let's just explore this what let, let's think about improvisation and it, because it's music it's all integrated for me it's improvisation and composition are so linked and then you link it in with playing a, an instrument uh, and of course if you have a depth of understanding of the music you're studying or listening to you'll enjoy it more no, absolutely so let's talk about how you work do you sort of sit down at nine o'clock in the morning and, and write <laughs> um <laughs> No, I don't. Uh, I know some people that do. But I think the way, the way it's developed... I mean, I've got a Word document on my laptop that goes back about 15 years, and I've got every piece of music that I've written on that Word document simply because uh, it's to do with deadlines, and I have to organise myself that way. I know if I'm writing... So, so last autumn I wrote a concerto for guitar classical guitar with chamber orchestra for Craig Ogden it was commissioned by the Northern Chamber Orchestra and the University of Western Australia a co-commission and I knew right that's going to be 20-22 minutes four movements in this case and I thought yeah I know it's going to take me this long to write it you know whether that's two months three months four months I have to put it in the sort of this word document you know, maybe six months or a year ahead of time. So I'm planning and sort of looking ahead of what yeah. needs writing. And it's quite interesting because what happens before you, you might be writing another piece of music, but then maybe when you're driving the car or on the train or something, you know, in you've got this commission coming up in three or four months' time or something, and I, little ideas are going around in your head. Yeah, you know um, that preparation. It's it's sort of mental preparation, I yeah. find for it. But then I've got manuscript paper. I've got a piano. I, I don't play piano. I play basic piano because I don't have perfect pitch. So I just need to hear some notes. I've got manuscript paper and uh, I've got the laptop with uh, Sibelius on. But you do work very quickly. Because I remember we mm. we play in a, a, a group together, Caliente, which is saxophone, harp and flute. Mm. I think we're the only uh, combination of that in the world. We're the only ones mad enough. Uh, yeah, mad <laughs> enough. Um, and people can hear us on YouTube. We're playing a, an Ebert interlude, yeah. aren't we? And the group's called Caliente. Um, such a fun ensemble because you compose and arrange many of the works for us, which was essential because there's not much written, yeah. if, if anything. Um, unique combination of instruments. And I remember one concert where you were writing as you were going to write as a um, arrange a piece for us and you got to the rehearsal just before the concert and you realized that you'd forgotten to do it oh god yeah. and so you, you sat in, you sat in the car on the driveway for 3 hours <clears throat> arranging this piece and then we had it about 5 minutes to look at and then we went and performed oh, it i know it was a great success, though. Oh, thank you. It was pretty stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a classic case of not being organised. And, uh, yeah, that was an arrangement. So I think I could probably sort of get away with it because with a pre-existing piece of music. But then I just had to think, as with composing, the key thing for me is, and I've learnt the hard way, is that, that form, structure, 
if you get the form and structure in place, I find this anyway, so you look at, you look at the overall shape of a piece, and you don't need to be hearing it exactly or know the exact details, but if you know the rough mood or energy levels or shape and direction uh, of the piece, then it means once you actually start getting into more detail with the writing that um, it, it flows more easily and you don't get writer's block. I had that once. I had writer's block. I was there at the manuscript paper. I scored something out for orchestra, did 19 seconds, fully scored out, got this great idea. And then I sat there looking at this bit of manuscript paper for two weeks. I physically couldn't actually write another note. And it was a friend of mine who said to me, who was far more experienced as a composer than me, who said, listen get the form, get the structure in your head first, then you won't hit this brick wall uh, with the writing. And uh, he was right. I've never, I've never hit it since because I've taken that approach. Good. Now, I've commissioned two works for mm. you. Um, flute Sonata, three-movement work, uh, which is uh, m- uh, contemporary. It's got some contemporary techniques, not very many. Mm. It's melodic. It's also a little bit crazy, um, but but great fun. That's on the on the bad tempered flute, yeah. and more recently, commissioned you to write all the music for my um, beginner tutorial kickstart mm. flute, where mm. you wrote twenty four duets with backing band yeah. of bass guitar, drums, and keyboard. Yeah, and you wrote in. I said I, I want a beginner book with all genres because I I, I didn't like my beginner book when I. When I started right. playing the flute, I didn't want to play too many nursery rhymes and, yeah, and Christmas yeah. carols. And I asked you if you could just write in all genres, and you did. It was incredible. Well, thank you. I mean, I tried to... I, again, this is where the, the, the experiences I've had as a saxophonist and working with rhythm section and different grooves and different feels came into play. And in fact, one of the toughest ones to write in that book of 24... By the way, it was a great idea because you know they're, they're all in different keys, so you get you, you know you're getting used to different key signatures at an earlier stage than you might do with other methods, which I think is really important. There's no need to be afraid of a, a certain key, you know, you know it's not a big deal. It's the same with improvising as well. But yeah, there was one that I wrote, and it was essentially a scale uh, for the two flutes, but then with a bit sort of corner response or imitation. So the articulation is left to the uh, discretion of the first player and it ensures that the second player who follows it a bar later is really listening and copying. But then to actually get a sort of a funk rhythm section, I had to sit down and write the scale out and then try and find a chord sequence underneath that would obviously fit running up and down that scale. And uh, it was it, it was a it was a, a really nice challenge, but also you know hopefully they're enjoyable to play. And uh, as you said, they're, they're all sorts of different styles: New Orleans funk, rock, um, all sorts of jazz, shuffle. swing, shuffle, yeah, and some sort of more chilled out uh, ambient. I th- I think it's the most wonderful music. I mean, I I like to play them for fun. Still, still now, I love them, and that would be quite interesting to see if, at some point in the future, you might expand them hmm. for bigger ensembles. Yeah, because the music is so good. No, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's um, 
it makes me think a lot about classically trained players and I know it's a generalisation but, but nowadays there is so much music that is influenced by uh, or written by composers that are influenced from different styles of music I think there's an onus on the performers uh, as well to have this understanding of different styles and grooves yes and certainly I feel my in my training I was completely restricted in what I was listening to I was very much sort of focused on classical flute um, and I know on, in conversations with you and you talk about many different works and where you might get inspiration from and lots of lots of, of pieces and, and different genres that I'd never heard of and mm. I've come away and gone and listened and thought goodness me I've missed out on so much mm-hmm. um, and yet when I first started playing the flute I listened to far more sort of popular styles rather than classical styles that's why I started playing flute Um, whether it was I've mentioned before in podcasts Jethro Tull or or Focus you remember Focus from the the 70s there was a fantastic uh, um, flute solo on one of theirs I think it was called Love Remembered Mm. and um, I just was in love with this piece Mm. and I I played it uh, so often um, and then, of course, you go into training and go down the classical yeah. field and you're sort of blinkered, restricted, and, yeah. and you miss out on a lot. Yeah, I think you do, but I think uh, and I, it's interesting because I think different things resonate uh, for each of us. And you, you saying about you heard something that inspired you, and, you know, and quite often I say to my students, it, it's like, OK, just, just go away and listen to something that resonates with you. It might be just one phrase or it might be one note that somebody plays. It doesn't need, even need to be on your instrument. But what, what is it that makes that, uh, or find an example of something that has a personal a sort of emotional connection with you? And when you find that, then we can look into it and say, yeah, okay, what, what, what's, what's good about it? What's, what are we listening to? What's the sound? What's the timbre? What's the dynamic? What's the harmony? How does that melody note fit in with the harmony at that point? My son, my son's uh, at the Royal Northern College. He's and he, he plays bass guitar. And he was playing this Herbie Hancock tune. He wanted us to play on a gig uh, last week, which we did play on the gig. No, it wasn't Herbie Hancock. It was a Wayne Shorter tune. And there's this one note. That, that in the melody he just went oh my god I love that note he said every time <laughs> I hear that note I love that note I said I know why I know why because it's over a minor chord and it's the major sixth and up to that point in the melody we'd had a lot of the flattened seventh and minor third and fifth and we hadn't heard that note and the placing of that note in the composition is genius mm. and it just suddenly it's like this very open sounding note and it resonated with him it caught his ear yeah and then then he sort of sussed out why yeah and then that means when he's improvising or if he does some arranging or composing he's got that in the back of his mind somewhere and it might come out years later in something that he that he does it's sort of building a library of uh, of ideas that are personal to you yeah you know they're not someone else's things that you've copied and so it's just like it's just thinking yeah why do I like that what's great about that that I really enjoy 
You've reminded me of a, of a, of a time back in Waldingham when I, I'd, mm. I'd done a recital and you were there and you said, I love that note, that last note. Oh, what right. was... That, what was that last note you were, you, you'd, and that was asked, we'd been talking about doing a commission. Yeah. And you said, I, I want that note. Ah, <laughs> great. So it's, it's, it's sort of something similar, something resonated. Yeah, yeah, there is. And I, and I think in terms of harmony, harmony is just such a fascinating subject on its own. But in terms of as instrumentalists, if we're practicing things, uh, just one quick example, sometimes I, I might suggest in a lesson, Okay, let's look at some chord tones. Let's look at a major nine chord. So if you're starting on G, so we could have G, B, D, F sharp, A. One, three, five, seven, nine. G major nine. And you just play those notes, or you might play them on the piano, put the sustain pedal down, then play them on your flute. This is the beauty of playing a non-transposing instrument, unlike mm. the saxophone. Yes. Put the sustain pedal down. You don't have to be a pianist to do this. Plonk the notes down, sustain pedal, play them on the flute, and just listen to, you know, yeah, how's that sound? Do I like the sound of the major seventh? Do I like the sound of the major ninth or, or the ninth? Where have I heard it before? And then if you look at a tune, I'm just sorry, I'm just rambling off the top of my head, but if you look at um, a really famous Yobim tune like Girl from Ipanema, yeah. and look at the melody and the melody is initially based on a major nine chord starts on the major ninth it goes to the major seventh and it uses the major sixth as well and it sounds cool it sounds amazing of course it does it's girl from Ipanema <laughs> but that's the, that's the sort of choice of notes and uh, and we can all do that you know you could say to yourself right i'm going to do one three five seven nine uh I'm just going to spend 10 minutes and try and figure that out in all 12 keys for, t- for today. It might take 10 minutes. Yeah. Or you could be on the train coming home or in the car and say, I'm going to try and just figure these notes out in my head. So I'll do the theory before I pick up the instrument. So you don't play wrong notes when you pick up the instrument. Yeah. Because I- you can think it. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I, I mean, I came to improvisation very late and I'm no good at it. But I remember spending... A summer just doing mm. two five one, and just trying yeah. to be simple and and work something out. Yeah. And it's amazing how you progress over a very short period of time. Yes. And I think you have to sort of gain your confidence. And once you gain your confidence, you can push it a little bit further. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also, you know, improvisation. What is it? You know, we're not talking necessarily about jazz or playing with a rhythm section. You could be practicing your flute at home and you've been practicing intensely, you've had the music stand in front of you. You might say, okay, oh, I like that phrase from a particular piece. Just look at what the rhythm and notes are in that phrase and shape and dynamic. Maybe take one phrase and then take that out and improvise around it. Mm. Extend it. Change one note. Change one rhythm. See if you can work out which key that phrase is in. Work out in your head, put it in a different key, play it in another key. And the beauty of stuff like that, I find, is you are, you're sort of freeing your mind up on your instrument. Yeah. And thinking back to the, the duets you wrote with the, with the, mm. the rhythm section, you could e- the flute players could easily improvise over that rhythm section. Exactly. Yeah, you've got those backing tracks there. 
and yeah just use use your ears use your your instinct yeah. try stuff out maybe uh record yourself and have a listen back yeah um most importantly have fun with it yeah don't totally. get stressed by it no totally totally yeah. so, so it's a sort of voyage of discovery it really. is a voyage of discovery yeah so in terms of um your voyage have you got mm. any other flute works in the in the pipeline at the moment i'm trying to think i'm not sure i have i've been doing a lot of sort of different projects and uh, as i said the the guitar concerto last autumn the first half of this year has been a few commissions for brass band Mm. and a really lovely project for um sort of uh 200 young brass players that included youth brass bands who have quite experienced sounds noisy through to wider rocks yeah it was a music for youth commission and we premiered at birmingham town hall yeah. about a month ago and and that was lovely that was really good fun i wrote down can i can i uh, there's a couple of little anecdotes here do you mind if i just chuck Please those do. In now? yeah <laughs> there was one i was doing i was marking some exams at the, I'm, I'm in the royal northern college muse about one day every three weeks teaching because sort of something had to give with with the writing and the playing and, and whilst it was sort of at the time a little bit financially risky thinking or oh, cut down the teaching it was a risk that needed to be taken but I remember a few years ago I was marking some end of year saxophone exams with the head of wind and percussion at the time I won't name names and then he said oh we've got this flute player coming in after all the saxes um, she couldn't, we had to reschedule can you, can you stay and mark the flute exam with me and I said, well, yeah, I can do I'm, I'm not sort of deliriously happy about doing that because <laughs> I think it's fair on the student having a flute specialist teacher, obviously. But I did. Anyway, this student came in, and I think it was the second year, um, played a piece, uh, played a couple of pieces or whatever. And then you have to give marks um, independently, and then you compare the marks um, at the end and you reach some sort of agreement so anyway the head of win the percussion gave this student 78% and uh, I turned over my piece of paper and I'd given, uh, I'd given the student 58% and he said how can you possibly give her 58% I said well quite simply because it was boring Yeah, it was really dull you know, she. I think she. She seemed to. You know, technically, everything was in place and all the notes were correct and everything like that. that was, it was abs- just no, very little music in it. Yeah, I didn't compromise on it. That's what I thought. And good, uh, I agree. And it, it, it didn't resonate with me in any way. Mm. I'd, ra- I'd rather hear someone like really going for it and taking some risks and taking risks, but communicating. Communicating, yeah, and and it sounding as if it's the first time you've played something, and it's got a sort of freshness and it's mm. alive. It, it, this had none of these things. And that's really good for anyone who's listening. I would implore them as flute players or any other musicians to go for that take the risks play the music communicate feel something move the people who are listening to you, listening to you mm. don't don't uh, send them off to sleep or send them out of the room yeah absolutely and i think if you practice something over and over of course it's really difficult isn't it because it's almost like a sort of can't win situation but the very best players had seemed to have this balance you know where they can obviously master their instrument, but the music is alive. 
whenever they play it and it communicates and it resonates so yeah, yeah it just it, I just I just found it fascinating because it just shows you know we have different musical opinions and priorities and I think we need to have a bit of self-belief at the same time you know we need to keep our ears open and our minds open but also gut instinct is important absolutely and that well, that's what makes us all different I think yeah and if if somebody wanted to commission a piece from you mm. how would they go about that um they could just go to my website and there's a contact form and or just give me a call uh, I mean a lot of the commissions over the years have developed from uh, commissions of work from musicians that I know and then other musicians might hear the music if they like it they might want to commission a piece and it's sort of built up that way in a very sort of personal way which I quite like you know I like in a in a sense having a choice of the I hope it doesn't sound arrogant but I like having a choice of the musicians that I work with I I like working with people that I like and a lot of the time I do have that choice because I'm not doing freelance orchestral gigs or I'm not doing shows it's more sort of smaller groups more intimate settings I like things that are really collaborative and where you can knock around ideas yeah because ultimately the rewards are so good yeah so well if if people want to know a little bit more about you and see all these Mm. lovely pieces you've written it's www.andyscott.org.uk Scott with two T's. Yeah, absolutely. And um, an astute music uh, publishes all my music. Yes, and I'm the flute editor for Astute Music, and this is a wonderful publishing company that you run with your wife, Lauren. Yeah. And fabulous flute pieces on there, fabulous saxophone pieces. So definitely worth a look at Astute Music, and you can listen to samples of quite yeah. a bit of music on it's, there. It's a brilliant setup because even if I say so myself, you know, what Lauren's done is incredible. She's a full time professional musician in her own right and a, and a mum, and she's started this publishing company. And as you said before, there are pieces on the Associated Board and Trinity Guildhall that Astute publishes quite a lot of pieces, but there are also plenty of pieces there. Uh, that are concert pieces or it might be the the, the duets uh, with rhythm section for flutes the, and I'd, I'd encourage anyone out there if you have a spare sort of 10-15 minutes just have a look on the the Astute Music website have a listen There's, you know you can listen to pieces you can see a, a sample page of the score and uh, I hope there's something there that you sort of um, you like great well it's been great to talk to you, Andy. And thank you very much for it's a uh, pleasure. coming to see us in Hove. It's a pleasure. There's one thing I wrote here at the end of a couple of little notes I scribbled out. It's never too late to start. <laughs> it's never too late to learn. Enjoy listening. Go to gigs. Buy CDs, albums. Fantastic. And on that note, many thanks. And uh, hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Claire. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.